This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in again this week. I have got a terrific show lined up for you today. Joining me on today's program is Dr. A. Gary Schilling. Dr. Schilling is the publisher of the newsletter Insight, and he's been a Forbes columnist for more than 40 years. Uh, I have interviewed Dr. Schilling before and uh, always enjoy his insights. And he'll be joining me in the next segment. However, in order to prep you for the next segment, because Dr. Schilling is predicting deflation, I thought it might be appropriate in this segment to talk to you a bit about deflation. You know, we all know what inflation is, or we think we know what inflation is, but deflation is really hard for people to define. And since in the next segment, we're going to be talking about Dr. Schilling's prediction that we may be tending or leaning toward deflation, I thought it'd be helpful for you to have some background. Now, as you know, on our LA radio, uh, we have a crystal ball that is really studying history. Now, we really don't have a crystal ball and nothing is accurate 100% of the time. But if something's happened, historically speaking, the chances are really good that it may happen again. So with that perspective, let me give you just a very basic definition of inflation and deflation. And the reason I want to talk about this on today's program is that both inflation and deflation promote opposite consumer behavior, and it certainly makes a difference as to where you might want to have your money invested. Now, Simply defined, inflation is an increase in the money supply. Deflation, simply defined, is a decline or a contraction in the money supply. And as I said, they do promote opposite consumer behavior. If there's inflation, consumers want to buy tangible stuff as a hedge. If there's deflation, people often wait to spend money because in a deflationary environment, your money is gaining purchasing power. Think for a minute if you're, you and your family are thinking about buying a new car. You take a look at the price of the car you want and you notice that the price of the car has been cut. You can buy it a little bit cheaper today than you could in the past. Well, you might drive the old car a little bit longer to see if there's another price cut. And deflation feeds on itself. In fact, the country of Japan has seen deflation more years than they have seen inflation. And in a consumer spending dependent economy, people waiting to spend money is an economic drag. That's why policymakers and politicians don't like deflation. Now, let's take a look at a couple ways you might hedge for each, and let me further define each one. Now, the best way to maybe take a look at inflation to begin with is to look at an extreme example. Here on the program a couple weeks ago, we talked about the situation in Venezuela. There, several years ago, the oil business was nationalized. In fact, a lot of different businesses were nationalized. 
And as a result of the government not being able to properly run a business, which is no surprise, there were huge financial issues. And a lot of the promises made to the populace couldn't be kept. There wasn't money to be able to keep the promises. So what happened? They printed money. Because whenever politicians or policymakers are faced with a financial dilemma, a financial issue, there's three ways that they can deal with it. One, they can raise taxes. However, at a certain point, you can't raise enough money in taxes to solve a big financial problem. And that's certainly the case in many places around the world today. The second option after raising taxes would be to cut spending. That's not a very politically popular option. And of course, the last option is to print currency, and that's what has happened historically many times. That happened in Weimar, Germany. It happened in the United States prior to the Long Depression of 1873. It happened in the United States prior to the Panic of 1837. It happened after the Federal Reserve was formed in 1913 and led to the Roaring Twenties, which led to the Great Depression. As I said... Whenever certain conditions have existed in the past, certain outcomes have emerged. So let's get back to Venezuela. Venezuela now has an annual inflation rate of more than 1 million percent. If you're living in Venezuela and you have any of this paper currency, you want to quickly exchange it for something tangible as quickly as you can. You want to get it out of the paper currency and into something, frankly, that's just not paper currency. Now, that gives you a bit of an idea that if you want to have an inflation hedge in your portfolio, you might want to think about considering something tangible. Now, we don't have to look at such an extreme example as as Venezuela. We can look at the United States. If you know a bit about history, you know that in 1971, then-President Richard Nixon eliminated the link between the dollar, the U.S. dollar, and gold. See, up to that day in 1971, if you were a foreign investor, you had the ability to exchange U.S. dollars for gold at a rate of $35 an ounce. This system was put in place after World War II as part of an agreement called the Bretton Woods Agreement. Well, because the U.S. dollar was exchangeable at any time for gold, foreign investors, foreign countries, felt very comfortable using gold because any time they wanted to, excuse me, using the dollar, because any time they wanted to, that dollar was exchangeable for gold. Well, back in 1971... When this link was eliminated, as I mentioned, gold sold for $35 an ounce. Now, let me just give you a very simple example. Many of you listening to this own a home. In 1970, when gold was $35 an ounce, the average home price in the United States was $23,600 bought you an average home. Today, gold is hovering around $1,300 an ounce, and the average price of a new home is about $240,000. Now, 
if you go back and take a look at what a home cost in gold, it's very instructive. In 1971, when gold was $35 an ounce and the average home price was $23,600, it took 674 ounces of gold to buy a home. Today, with gold at $1,300 an ounce, if you have the same 674 ounces of gold, you can buy over three and a half houses at an average price of $240,000. So gold, certainly over that time frame, has held its value and has, has, has been a protection against inflation better than even real estate. Now, my next guest, Dr. Schilling, says that he believes we're heading toward deflation, or there's a fairly high probability that we're headed toward deflation. Deflation, as I mentioned, is a contraction of the money supply. Well, how does the money supply contract? Well, 95% of today's money is debt. Think about that for a minute. 95% of today's money is debt. We have a fractionalized banking system. So let's just say for a minute that you go put money in your bank. Say you go put $10,000 in your bank. Your banker has to reserve 10% or $1,000. The other $9,000 can be loaned out. Well, when bankers make loans that have a high probability of not being repaid, like they're doing now and like they did prior to the financial crisis, for example, when you loan a home buyer 100% of the money they need to buy their home and don't require a down payment, and then real estate prices collapse like they did, you have people walking away from their homes. They say, I borrowed $100,000 on my home, but now it's only worth $80,000. I'm going to quit making the payments. When they do that and the bank gets the house back, which collateralized the loan, they can't get as much money out of the house as is owed on the loan, and that's how money disappears from the financial system. That's deflation. So in your portfolio, it's really important to use, we believe, a two-bucket approach because we don't know if we're going to have inflation or deflation, and a lot of it depends on what the policymakers do. If they print, if they reduce interest rates, we could see inflation before we see deflation. In the next segment, I'll talk more about deflation, the economy, and what's ahead for your money with my guest, Dr. Gary Schilling. Stay with us. Dennis Tubergen here, host of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Thank you for listening. I'd like to invite you to take advantage of a free resource that we have for our listeners. It's a weekly market and economic update that we call Portfolio Watch. Portfolio Watch is a free newsletter delivered by email every Monday at market close. In it, we analyze market activity and give you a unique perspective on current economic conditions. To get the weekly Portfolio Watch report delivered to you free, just visit yourportfoliowatch.com and enter your name and email. The website is yourportfoliowatch.com. In Portfolio Watch, we monitor and update our forecast for your money. Don't miss a week. Visit yourportfoliowatch.com to get your free subscription. That's yourportfoliowatch.com. 
I am pleased to have back on the Retirement Lifestyle Advocate radio program uh, Dr. A. Gary Schilling. Dr. Schilling, uh, he has a monthly insight newsletter that is, in my opinion, must read. It's a comprehensive 30 to 40 page report that includes extensive overviews of the economy, exhaustive investigations of key economic indicators and how they'll affect your investment portfolio. And he also details uh, financial trends that could spell opportunity or danger to your investments. And his investment themes uh, is a wrap-up of key economic data, and he's got a terrific back-page commentary on matters great and small as well. Uh, And I'd also be remiss if I didn't point out that Dr. Schilling is a world-class beekeeper. So, Dr. Schilling, welcome back to the program. Delighted to be back with you. Well, in your insight newsletter and for those that would like to learn more about the insight newsletter uh, there's a toll-free number you can call it's 888-346-7444 you lead dr Schilling with this and it's a quote uh, from the fed many participants expressed the view that especially in an environment of muted inflation pressures the committee could afford to be patient about further policy firming now, can you translate that for our listeners? What does that mean exactly? Well, that means the Feds were the Fed was dead wrong in their forecast of inflation. They thought that low unemployment would uh, push inflation through the roof. It obviously hasn't. They were jacking up rates to try to head that off. Uh, that was premature. Then, of course, they got hit with not only continuing low inflation and hey, today uh, the producer price index came out, it actually declined uh, for the second month in a row. Uh, so they've, they've really not gotten that, not, not their forecast straight. And that plus the signs of a weakening economy and, of course, the tremendous weakness we had in the stock market at the end of last year, they basically decided that they're going to hold off in terms of further interest rate increases, at least for now. I don't think they are through with their rate-raising campaign but at least for now, they've backed off. So, Dr. Schilling, uh, does this mean that we are actually headed for deflation? And if so, what does that mean for our listeners? I think we very well could see deflation. Uh, we've, we've, we've certainly seen low inflation. It's been consistently below the, the Federal Reserve's target of, of a 2% annual increase in overall prices. Uh, but there are many deflationary forces that are that are at work here and uh matter of fact our our uh, our february insight talks about many of these reasons but uh one one major one is globalization the shifting of manufacturing other production from north america and europe to china and other asian lands where costs are much cheaper of course that's resulted in a lot of turmoil i think that's what spawns populism because most people in Major Western countries have had no increase in their purchasing power for a decade. But in any event, uh, you've had that. You've had other factors. Look at what Uber has done to uh, to cost in terms of transportation. Amazon, uh, prices lower and lower with online. Many, many deflationary forces. Uh, education services. Last year, public education, tuition and fees actually declined for the first time in decades. And medical care, that's under... Uh, tremendous pressure from Washington and and consumers. So you're seeing many signs of deflation, and we may actually see uh, chronic deflation with prices declining uh, chronically. Dr. Schilling, uh, 
the Fed, uh, especially the Fed, uh, they, they, they're scared to death of deflation. Uh, can you explain to the listeners why? They look at Japan, where they've had deflation more years than not since uh, since the early 90s. And what happens is that when prices are declining, people say, hey, prices are declining, I'm going to wait to buy. I've got an old car, but prices will be lower in another six months. I'll wait to buy. So everybody waits. Inventories pile up on dealers' lots, and they have to cut prices to get rid of the to move the metal. That confirms suspicions, and people wait even further. And Japan, is, as a result of this, has had very, very low growth. Their, their growth has been less than 1% per year in inflation-adjusted terms in the last 20 years. That's the poster boy, and that's what really scares central banks, that idea that people will uh, simply withhold spending. Another thing is that in deflation, the, the cost of servicing debts goes up. Debts don't change. In other words, if you if you borrowed a thousand dollars, it's going to be a thousand dollars, even though uh, earnings may be less and and prices in general decline. So it's in in real in inflation adjusted terms, debt goes up and makes it harder to service. There are other reasons, but the Fed basically worries about these kinds of things. Well, if you're just joining us, we're chatting with Dr. A. Gary Schilling. Uh, Dr. Schilling publishes the newsletter Insight. I'd encourage you to check it out. If you'd like to learn more, you can give the phone number a call. The number is 888-346-7444. I'll be giving that number again at the end of this segment, and you can visit the website uh, at agaryshilling.com. So, Dr. Schilling, uh, are you expecting that we will see a recession based on your prior comment? Yes, I've I'm I've been rating a recession at a two th- at a two thirds probability to start this year. The other third is simply slower growth. But you've got many signs that typically run up to a recession. I've talked about this in in detail. As a matter of fact, in our our January newsletter insight, um, stock markets declining, central banks tightening, uh, uh, housing activity declining. It always does. It's very interest rate sensitive. Corporate profits growth are falling. Consumers are optimistic. Consumers are always the most optimistic at the peak of the economy. Uh, you've got global indi- in- leading indicators. Commodity prices are weak. Um, uh, emerging markets in trouble. U.S.-China trade war. Uh, you've got a lot of signs that suggest that we are headed for a recession. Now, it isn't in the bag. Uh, the, the two things that we've always had in the post-World War II period ahead of a recession are one is the Federal Reserve tightening to the point that they kill the economy. They haven't gotten there quite yet. They they will in time. They usually do. They haven't gotten there yet, but that hasn't happened. And the other one is some kind of a financial crisis, like the dot-com uh, explosion in 2000 and then the subprime mortgage collapse in the mid-2000s. Uh, those kinds of financial crises then precipitate recessions. There's nothing on the horizon that looks like it's a huge uh, a huge speculative bubble just waiting to be broken. And as you know, I've spent a career looking for bubbles and had pretty good success in spotting them and and uh, following them to their demise. So, Dr. Schilling, if uh, you take a look at where investors might want to might want to put their money, and we're going to talk more about investment trends moving ahead. But uh, what's your take on on the U.S. dollar moving ahead? We're very bullish on the dollar and have been for the past year. Uh, it is a safe haven. 
it's the place that people go whenever there's trouble in the world. And the interesting thing is, even if the trouble starts in the U.S., the dollar benefits. You look at the U.S.-China trade war, that was touched off by Trump, touched off in this country, and yet people seek the safety of the dollar. Another interesting factor is that our interest rates, low as they are, are much higher than they are in other countries. So investors in Germany, where let's say their 10-year uh, government securities are yielding basically nothing, they say, hey, if I can get, you know, if I can get uh, close to 3% on a U.S. 10-year Treasury note, that's a pretty good deal. Uh, so there is that there is that incentive as well. So I think the dollar is strong and it's probably going to continue that way for a number of years. So, Dr. Schilling, does that mean that you anticipate that assuming we get this this recession, do you, do you see the Fed engaging in more quantitative easing? And if they did, would that change your forecast for the U.S. dollar? Probably not, because if you get to that point, there's there's really uh, you know a rush for the the dollar as as a safe haven, and and it will probably be a global recession. So everybody else will have weak economies as well, and all other central banks will be easing one way or the other. So it'll be a uniform uniform central bank exercise. Do you see the Chinese currency, the official name of the currency is the renminbi, do you see the renminbi uh, as, as a lot of analysts are actually uh, uh, predicting uh, at some point maybe becoming a co-equal currency with the dollar at any time in the near future? I did a, I did a very lengthy study of that some years ago. I've up, updated it occasionally. Looking back to currencies, uh, going back to ancient Greek and Roman times, and and noted over the over the years the characteristics of a strong currency, and the dollar fits them all, and the, and the Chinese uh, yuan, the other name for it, uh, doesn't hit any of them. You've got to have a a a, a strong economy, a growing economy. Uh, you've got to have deep and broad financial markets, open markets. The Chinese, you know, they control their financial markets, and and uh, people that people that want to invest in a currency want to be where the uh, where they can move money around and they're not going to be inhibited by government regulations. Uh, there's just a whole host of characteristics. And also, right now, 80% of the global transactions, both for trade and for capital flows, involve the dollar. Uh, there's, there's, just no, there's just no alternative, and I don't think that's going to change appreciably for any time. The euro, some years ago, people thought that was going to be a currency, but they've got enough problems there. The Japanese don't want their their uh, their uh, yen to be a, a global currency. The Chinese would like to, but they want to control it, and those two things just don't go together. Well, we have just a little bit of time here before the break. Uh, let me ask you a bit about private sector debt levels. Uh, it seems that private sector debt levels are now uh, higher in terms of, of, of nominal dollars anyway than they were prior to the financial crisis uh, a little over a decade ago. Uh, to to, to what extent do you think private sector debt levels will will play into your prediction of a, a recession? It varies by sector. The two sectors that really uh, went berserk in terms of running up debt, and that started in the early 80s, were the consumer sector and the financial sector. Consumers have since retrenched. They haven't cut their debt levels in relation to their income. You always have to have a denominator relative to something. They're not back to where they were. Uh, just as an example, in the early 80s, all the consumer debt, mortgage debt, uh, auto loans, student credit, uh, credit card student loans, and so on, in relation to after-tax income, 
that was 65%. It got up to 130%. It's now 105%. It still hasn't gotten back to 65, uh, but it is declining. Uh, the, the, the corporate debt, though, is another story. And there, you do have a potential problem, particularly with the huge explosion of low-level, uh, low-credit bonds. The triple-B the, the bonds, which are the uh, grade just above junk, uh, is is just exploded. A lot of that is energy companies, and if they get downgraded, then there are a lot of institutions who cannot own anything but investment-grade uh, debt, so they have to dump it on the market. So that is a potential problem. Well, we're chatting today with Dr. A. Gary Schilling. Uh, he publishes the monthly newsletter, Insight. I would encourage you to check it out. You can do that by calling a toll-free phone number at 888-346-7444. And the website is agaryshilling.com. I'll be back and continue my conversation with Gary Schilling after these words. Stay with us. Dennis Tubergen here, host of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Thank you for listening. I'd like to invite you to take advantage of a free resource that we have for our listeners. It's a weekly market and economic update that we call Portfolio Watch. Portfolio Watch is a free newsletter delivered by email every Monday at market close. In it, we analyze market activity and give you a unique perspective on current economic conditions. To get the weekly Portfolio Watch report delivered to you free, just visit yourportfoliowatch.com and enter your name and email. The website is yourportfoliowatch.com. In Portfolio Watch, we monitor and update our forecast for your money. Don't miss a week. Visit yourportfoliowatch.com to get your free subscription. That's yourportfoliowatch.com. Welcome back to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program, Dr. A. Gary Schilling. Uh, Dr. Schilling publishes the monthly Insight newsletter that is really a virtual magazine every month, a 30- to 40-page report uh, that I'd encourage you to check out. You can call a toll-free number, 888-346-7444, to do that, or visit his website, agaryshilling.com. So, Gary, let's talk a little bit about U.S. government debt. It seems to me that, you know, we've got a debt of $22 trillion. We've got an operating deficit of, of a trillion and 2020 is seemingly just around the corner, and nobody seems to be talking about it. How does this eventually affect investors, or does it? Well, as long as I've been in business, and that's a lot of decades, as you know, Dennis, people have been worried about government debt. Uh, now, I'm no, I'm no fan of government debt, but the point is, as long as the U.S. is the primary country in the world and in the financial area, and, and tre U.S. Treasuries are about the best investment of any size, there's going to be a tremendous interest in it. Now, one of the interesting things is that in the last few months, foreigners have not been buying U.S. Treasuries the extent they were earlier. But guess what happens? American investors are stepping in. Individual investors, uh, they're worried about stocks. They want the safety of Treasuries and banks. Bank loan demand has been so weak that banks are, are putting their money into treasuries as opposed to loans. Uh, so right now you've seen you've had this amazing situation where the Fed has been raising rates. They started in December of 2015. 
uh, they've raised them 225 basis points, 2.2 and a quarter percent, and and uh, 30 year treasury uh, 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 treasury interest rates are basically where they were when the Fed started, and 10 year treasury notes are not much higher. Uh, there's just been a tremendous rush there, and I think that's that's probably going to continue. That safe haven aspect is very very powerful. In your uh, February insight, you talk about stocks. Uh, we alluded to it just briefly in the first segment. I'd like to drill down a little bit on that. What is your forecast for uh, U.S. stock market indices uh, moving ahead? Well, stocks are stocks did come back, come down in the fourth quarter. They've retraced part of that, about uh, 60, 70 percent of that decline. Uh, but they're still very expensive by historical standards. If you look at a uh, price-earnings ratio, looks over a 10-year cycle. It's called a cyclical adjusted uh, P.E., uh, stocks would have to decline 40% to get back to their long-term trend. Uh, and and, and uh, so I think they are expensive, and particularly if we're headed for a recession, then there's, there isn't much question. Uh, if you have a recession, the stocks will go a lot lower than they have so far. So, Dr. Schilling, you said 40%. Uh, is the decline we would have to see in stocks to have them revert to the mean. And often, uh, markets tend to uh, overreact. They tend to go a little bit further. So are, are you, are you uh, in a position that you want to make a prediction as to where stocks eventually end up? Not a precise number, but but I think they could go a lot lower. And you're absolutely right. As a matter of fact, stocks have, have been above the long-term average in terms of P.E. since the early 90s in almost every year. And so if that long-term trend going back to 1880, 1880 still holds, then stocks are going to spend a number of years with PEs below that long-term average. So, Dr. Schilling, we're going back to what we talked about in the first segment, that uh, the Fed uh, is going to at least uh, not raise interest rates, and, and if we see recession, you know, they've got some room to, to, to go down here. Um, if the Fed were to... To, to, to cease uh, their, their tightening, uh, wouldn't that be bullish for stocks? I'm looking at the market's reaction after uh, Powell came out and said that uh, you know they're going to kind of keep one eye on the equities markets. Well, well, there was a great yelling of hallelujah when the Fed basically <laughs> paused. Now they didn't reverse gears; they didn't go from raising rates to cutting rates, but they said we're going to we're going to wait and see. And, and investors, uh, the bulls took great heart in that. But the point is, why did the Fed pause? I mean, if, if, they, uh, if they pause and they're going to actually pull off a soft landing, in other words, if they're through tightening and that's it and, and we're not going to have any recession, then, okay, that, that, that uh, forecast by the bulls makes sense. But it's more likely, I think, that the Fed simply paused because they're beginning to see the growing signs of recession. If that's if that's the case, uh, the Fed easing won't stop the weakness in corporate profits. If you look at the Fed, the Fed usually reverses gears uh, right at the peak of business or even before when they see that they've done the dirty deed. But stocks still de still decline well into the recession because earnings are getting such a terrible beating. Well, you'd mentioned uh, in the last segment that uh, you're bullish on U.S. Treasuries, and certainly uh, that makes sense with uh, what your potential forecast for stocks uh, might be. Let's talk a little bit about specific sectors, though, because there are some sectors of the stock market, as I read your February Insight newsletter, uh, that you're uh, favorable with. Yes, that's right. It is, as I mentioned earlier, it is not just a complete laydown 
that we're going to have a recession this year. As I say, I think the odds are in that favor. I've got a two-thirds probability on it. Uh, but but I, I want to hedge my bets. So, yeah, we are, and, and we do manage money. And in portfolios we manage for ourselves and for our clients, uh, we're long the dollar. Uh, uh, we're long, we're long uh, treasury bonds. Uh, but we are, we are also, uh, we're, we're, we're long a couple of areas in the stock market. They're the so-called defensive areas, the ones that tend to suffer the least in a recession. And those are namely health care, consumer staples, and utilities. Dr. Schilling, you... Also, uh, well, I'm sorry, I should mention one more, aerospace and defense. So uh, given, again, the U.S., uh, let me just follow up on that uh, particular uh, comment. Given uh, the U.S. budget deficit, uh, are you still somewhat bullish on defense uh, stocks, or do you think, given uh, some of the political rumblings that we're seeing, that we might be ready to reverse course on that as far as national policy is concerned? Well, that remains to be seen, but, uh, of course, uh, we could have a, a complete change of government in 2020. Now it's the House and the hands of the Democrats, but the Republicans still, of course, control the White House and the Senate. Um, I think there's enough bipartisan concern about uh, the Chinese aggressive attitudes, building artificial islands in the South China Sea, Russia uh, really invading Ukraine, uh, the Middle East, a constant tinderbox and so on. I, I think that, I, and, and there is, there's also the, uh, the military experts, the Pentagon is making the case to Congress that we're really behind. They need to catch up. Of course, they always would say that. But uh, I, I think there's bipartisan support for uh, for more defense spending. Uh, let's talk a bit about uh, commodities in some more detail. Um, you mentioned that uh, in the in the last uh, segment that uh, you would be bearish on commodities, if I recall correctly, and uh, uh, confirm that. And if so, why? Yeah. Well, commodities are are very typically uh, decliners in recessions and even before. It's just it's simply a matter of supply and demand. You have more more supply out there, and of course they tend to get more aggressive in in new mining of minerals. And we've seen, of course, oil production with the fracking in this countries, and then demand starts to slack off, and and uh, inventories build up and prices decline. Uh, my favorite on that is is copper, uh, because copper is used in almost anything that's manufactured. And there's no cartel affecting current, uh, uh, copper. It's not like OPEC plus Russia. You don't know what those guys are going to do tomorrow. I think oil prices are going to be weak. But you've got the political aspect of that as well. But copper is a kind of a pure play on the economy. And, and that is showing weakness. It's a good leading indicator. And it's, and it's something in, in our aggressive portfolios that uh, we think is, is worth selling. Well, if you're just joining us, we are chatting with Dr. A. Gary Schilling. His newsletter is Insight, and we're chatting about his February issue. Uh, you can learn more at agaryshilling.com. Dr. Schilling, uh, let's talk a little bit about cryptocurrencies. Uh, you made some comments about Bitcoin in your February Insight. Uh, enlighten the listeners. Yeah, we, we've, been, uh, we've been short uh, Bitcoin for over a year. Um, uh, I, 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 I talked about that in our uh, very early last year in our uh, one of our monthly insights. I think it's a giant Ponzi scheme. Uh, it certainly isn't a currency. You know, this thing is controlled. You don't know who's controlling. You don't know whether they're going to increase the supply tomorrow. Uh, there's been the only the only use I can find for it is is uh, 
illegal transaction, illegal transactions, you know, drug money, uh, hot money, laundered money, et cetera, et cetera. And and uh, and what has happened is you you the the uh, regulators have not really allowed exchange traded funds to be formed. Uh, they've been very uh, vigilant on various Bitcoin products. I mean, there was a case recently where a, a Bitcoin entrepreneur, uh, this guy, uh, this guy uh, left town, ended up in India, dropped dead, and he had he was the only guy who knew the password to his Bitcoin wallet, his his store of Bitcoins, and there was something like two hundred thirty uh, million dollars locked up, and nobody knows how to get at it. Now, how could that ever be a currency? And you know, people have claimed that it is, and I, I just think that it's it's uh, you know it's it's come down uh, it's come down from uh, from you know about ten thousand. It's now about three thousand. Uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see it go to zero. All right. Do you see that uh, you know the the, the 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 people that are proponents of uh, cryptocurrency talk about uh, blockchain technology and it's a, it's an open architecture? And I'm not a technology guy, but do you see other applications of this blockchain technology moving ahead? Yeah, I, I think I think blockchain technology does have a legitimate place. Uh, it'll it it probably will get is you know if 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 Bitcoin goes up in smoke, it will get tarred with that same. Uh, that same brush, but there there are legitimate uses for blockchain in terms of of, of transactions and so on. It's not revolutionary, you know. With the wire systems we have, the Federal Reserve wires, the transfers, electronic transfers of funds, and so on, it isn't all that revolutionary. But it does have a does have a value. Well, unfortunately, we are going to have to leave it there. We are out of time. Our guest today has been Dr. A. Gary Schilling. His newsletter is Insight. You can check out his website at agaryshilling.com or learn more about the Insight Newsletter by calling 888-346-7444. And Dr. Schilling, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Glad to be with you, Dennis. Dennis Tubergen here, host of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Thank you for listening. I'd like to invite you to take advantage of a free resource that we have for our listeners. It's a weekly market and economic update that we call Portfolio Watch. Portfolio Watch is a free newsletter delivered by email every Monday at market close. In it, we analyze market activity and give you a unique perspective on current economic conditions. To get the weekly Portfolio Watch report delivered to you free, just visit yourportfoliowatch.com and enter your name and email. The website is yourportfoliowatch.com. In Portfolio Watch, we monitor and update our forecast for your money. Don't miss a week. Visit yourportfoliowatch.com to get your free subscription. That's yourportfoliowatch.com. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. And thanks again to our special guest today, Dr. Gary Schilling, for joining us. You know, we were talking with Dr. Schilling about the likelihood of deflation and recession. And I certainly agree with much of what Dr. Schilling had to say. And in this segment, I want to share with you five items that I pulled out of the news this past week that may confirm that deflation is coming. And with deflation, arm-in-arm, arm, 
is recession. Now, why is this important to you? Well, there are many asset classes in which you might invest that don't like deflation. Stocks certainly are often one of them. Now, if you're just joining us, deflation is really a contraction of the money supply. Inflation is an expansion of the money supply, and that often leads to higher prices. Deflation, which is a contraction of the money supply, often leads to lower prices. Deflation occurs because money disappears from the financial system when borrowers default on debt. If a subprime mortgage borrower 10 or 12 years ago went and borrowed 100% of the purchase price of their new home, which many, many did, and shortly after they borrowed the money, real estate prices collapsed, say they paid $200,000 for a home and now the home is worth hundred or 120000 many of them just walked away from the home leaving the bank owning the home since it collateralized the loan. However, the banker could not get from the house what was owed on the loan. So the difference is the amount of money that disappeared from the financial system, or as I like to say, went to money heaven. So the more debt there is in the private sector, the greater the chance, the greater the likelihood that we see deflation. Now, the New York Fed report on household debt and credit development this past week reported that in the fourth quarter of 2018, consumer debt hit another new record. As of the end of 2018, total U.S. household indebtedness was between 13 and $14 trillion, up $32 billion in just one quarter. Auto loans were up $9 billion. That's just in three months. Credit card balances went up by $26 billion. Student loan balances went up by $15 billion. Here's why this is important. Debt levels can continue to increase for a period of time. However, debt levels cannot continue to increase forever. Debt levels are finite because in order to service debt, you have to go to work and make money and produce something in order to be able to make your, your payment, whether it's an auto loan payment or a mortgage payment or whatever it is. And because future production is finite or limited, debt accumulation also has to be finite or limited. And when debt reaches a certain level, we start to see defaults on debt. We see people that can't pay their debt completely or on time, and that is deflationary. Now, the Fed, in this same report, commented that there is a large amount of subprime auto debt that is now delinquent, more than 90 days past due. Now, in our monthly newsletter, the You May Not Know report, we've been talking about this for some time, and a subprime borrower is someone that buys a car with a credit score of less than 620. Well, those borrowers, I should say that group of borrowers, 
has now got an 8% delinquency rate, 90 days or more late on their payment. That's 1 in 12 people, roughly, that are subprime auto borrowers. Now, that is deflationary. Here is another potential issue. Retail sales were down in December. Now, it's the sharpest decline that's been seen since 2009, which was during the Great Recession, as it's now called. Retail sales fell 1.2% in December. It's the sharpest monthly decline of the expansion. And interestingly, when you take vehicle sales out of it, when you take building materials out of it, which are not traditional holiday purchases, the decline was even more significant, 3.9%. That is a recession potentially waiting to happen. Now, because of this report, GDP estimates are now dropping and dropping significantly. According to the Atlanta Fed GDP Now model, economic growth is now forecast to be 1.5% on an annual basis, down from 2.7%. While that is not quite negative growth, which would officially define a recession, it is sliding. And it's following what's happening in Europe. If you look at Eurozone industrial production, I believe you can only conclude that the Eurozone is in a recession right now. If you look at industrial production in Germany, in November, it was down 4.56%, followed by a 3.99% in the month of December. France, Italy, Spain, and the Netherlands all had negative industrial production in the last two months of last year. The Eurozone as a whole, averaging out all the numbers, was down over 7%, almost 7.25% in two months. That is a significant, significant decline. So what should you do? Well, we advocate that you consider using something called a two-bucket approach. Because if in response to these rather concerning economic numbers, the Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world decide to engage in money printing, quantitative easing, they're doing it again in Europe, possibly we could see inflation. On the other hand, if they don't engage in that, it appears that we're headed for deflation. Thomas Jefferson said it well. He said, if the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, which incidentally is what we do, the banks and corporations that grow up around them, first by inflation and then by deflation, will deprive their children of the very continent their fathers conquered. We don't know if we're going to see inflation or deflation first, but we believe we'll have to see deflation. So certainly educate yourself. We make resources available at the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates website. Go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. 
to get more information. That's our program for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again same time next week.